Hi friends, Renee here. A few quick notes before we start this episode. This was recorded at the end of March, before Anna left on her vacation to Brazil. So don't be surprised when we're talking Captain Marvel and not Avengers Endgame. But don't worry, our discussion of Endgame will be long in a few short weeks. Next, you've probably noticed that there were no other episodes in April. There is a reason, and that reason is not that I joined another political campaign, so everybody can rest easy. As some of you may know already, I lost my dad last December. What most of you won't know is that his birthday was on March 22nd this year, and I was not prepared. However, I'm feeling better now, so we're going to get back to it for cool pop culture discussions. I wanted to let everybody know what the haps were, and that we're back. And I hope you all know that I'm deeply grateful for your patience with me. Enjoy the episode, and be on the lookout for a new one real soon. Hi friends, I'm Anna. And I'm Renee. And you're listening to Fangirl Happy Hour. Today, we're going to recap what we've been watching. We'll be talking about the most recent and our most coveted Marvel Studio films of 2019, Captain Marvel, and then quickly discuss The Last Eight, an SFYA novel by Laura Poe, plus our most recent obsessions. But first, Renee has some critical updates for us. First, the Murderbot novel Martha Wells is working on has a title. It will be called Network Effect. We know nothing else about it, but now we know the title. And I got this news from Genrewise on YouTube, and I felt like other people might want a name to go with their dreams of this novel after finishing the novella series. Second, this is our last recording day before Anna's hiatus. And I have a sad, and this is why I gave everyone the good news first. <laughs> oh, no, you're so lovely. Yes, it's a very short hiatus. It's just three weeks. I'll be in Brazil visiting my family like I always do in April. It's gonna fly. You're gonna have guests, aren't you? Yeah, we have confirmed two of our guests. They're a surprise. It's gonna be fun, but I'm still going to miss you. Maybe we will record a special episode. Maybe we will. Wink, wink. What have you been watching lately? One of our friends, Gregory, he is a professor at the local university here. And for some reason, he gave my partner like this mythology of flat earthers. And it was just hanging around the house. And I picked it up. I'm like, why do you have this? That was sign number one. And then I came into the living room one day and Zach was watching this thing called Behind the Curve, a documentary about flat earthers. And I was like, hmm. I see that all the time on Netflix. Do you know how when you scroll like through things on Netflix, they immediately play the trailer? Just hearing the five first seconds, like, nope, 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 can't watch this. But I, I, I always go back. I feel like I've been called to watch this. Here's the thing about this documentary. Behind the Curve follows a few different flat earthers. I thought it was going to be kind of a more broad look, but it turned out to be way more intimate and actually kind of sad. 
because they were into science and the scientific method, but then they were left behind or fell through the cracks in the system. And so these people have found this theory that they like, and they found a community, and they've become like really important members of this community, and they've made friends. And the documentary makes the point, okay, so what if they come around to the fact that their theory is wrong? They've been ostracized from the scientific community because of their theories that are incorrect. What happens when they no longer believe in their flat earth theory, but their whole community and their whole social network is connected? What happens if they say they don't believe? Are they going to get ostracized from that one and become doubly ostracized? So how can they leave? It became really sad, a really sad story about the failures of public policy, the failure of our state governments to invest properly in education. The good thing about it is, is that the very end, the science community is actually having this little get together and they're talking to each other about how they are somewhat responsible for the flat earth community because they've made fun of them or ostracized them instead of inviting them in and making it, making science more welcoming and accessible to people. It became really sad. This did not go where I was expecting it to go. I was also very, very shocked when I came away from this documentary about flat earthers sad because I have also made fun of them. And now I'm just like, fuck, I'm an asshole. But they are flat out wrong. They are. The problem is that they are interested in the scientific method because a lot of them use scientific method to test this theory over and over and over again. When they don't get the results they want, they just keep trying to prove the same thing over and over. It's because they're so isolated and ostracized. But there are also some of them that are very against science and are flat earthers because of religion and do not want to hear about science at all. Yeah, but those people aren't covered in this documentary. Right, okay. I don't know about those specific people. The ones from Brazil are definitely the religious evangelicals. This got real depressing. Everybody's welcome. Moving on to some other movies where the Earth is definitely not flat. And which are also highly scientific. Listen, all these movies are extremely scientific. They really love the scientific method in these movies. I watched three older science fiction movies, The Core, The Day After Tomorrow, starring Jake Gyllenhaal, and Deep Impact, which was the movie that came out around the same time as Armageddon, but got less coverage, even though I think it's a better movie. I love all of these movies. So I watched all three of them just in a row. They made me feel better. I was just like, "Hmm, I feel better now. I'm having a nice day watching my disaster movies. Then I was bored, and so I watched The Ant-Man and the Wasp. And all I got to say about it is that uh, I would just prefer it if we just had the Wasp. I really like Ant-Man. I just find these movies so mediocre. And I guess Marvel Studios is allowed to make like a mediocre action film. It's fine. Everybody's allowed to have just okay films. Not everything has to be a rocket ship. However, I cannot wait until like phase 16 or whatever when Cassie actually becomes like a young Avenger. Because I feel like... That's where they're going. It has to be. Because the, the MCU needs to like bring in like younger generations to the MCU that might not be interested in these in the older movies because, yep, 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 Iron Man came out in 2008. I'm just hoping that Young Avengers is going to be a thing. I mean, in Captain Marvel, we saw evidence of that with Monica. Fingers crossed. You know, who knows what's going to happen when they fix the snap. I watched two comedy specials by Ali Wong, uh, Baby Cobra and Hard Knock Wife. Ali Wong is extremely extreme 
Anyway, I found her funny, but also, like, I have to pause, take a break, watch some, pause, take a break, watch some, because it's a lot. There's a lot happening there. Then I watched Trevor Noah, Son of Patricia, which was actually really charming and good, and I really liked it. Trevor Noah, you're funny. I don't watch The Daily Show anymore, because for a while there, I didn't even have that channel because of whatever fight Viacom and whoever else was having. Ugh, corporations. And then, Anna... I watched episode one of Russian Doll. And? I am pretty charmed. Although Nadia is kind of an asshole. I love her. Okay, I don't know how you can have watched one episode and not have finished the whole season in one go. I don't have that kind of attention span. Are you going to go back and watch the rest? We'll see. Uh... Well, that's what I've watched. What have you been watching? Uh, even though I've been reading a lot, and I only watch television now Friday to Sunday. I used to watch television every day, and now I have, I have a rule that Monday to Thursday is for reading, and then Friday to Sunday is for watching. I've been catching up with a lot of TV shows on Netflix. So I've almost done with Brooklyn Nine-Nine Season 5, which just landed on Netflix UK last week. And I love this show so much. It's so funny. It's so endearing and heartwarming. And there was a whole episode on season five about Rosa coming out as bisexual. And it was just fantastic. And I was in tears by the end of it. I watched season three of Queer Eye. I love these guys so much. They are so nice. And I know there are some, you know, problems. But it's just, it's just such a feel-good show. I love it a whole lot. I've been also watching week by week Star Trek Discovery Season 2. This season is all about time travel. I can't handle the awesomeness. I love this show a lot. I've watched the very famous award-winning Roma on Netflix by Alfonso Cuaron. And it's set in Mexico in the 70s. And I can't describe to you how much Mexico in the 70s is just like Brazil in the 70s. I sometimes feel like the whole of Latin America is one big extended family, which is, in fact, because, you know, we are all colonies. But culturally speaking, it's just very uncanny how similar it is to Brazilian culture. And I loved the movie. It's really well done, beautifully shot, all black and white. And it has a lot about families and exploitation and how even through that you create bonds with people. I really, really liked it. I have become a member of Audible recently. We only get one credit a month. But they also have tons of Audible-produced podcasts that are free for Audible members. And one of them is a podcast called Evil Has a Name, which is about the investigation about the Golden State Killer. So it's a true crime podcast produced and released by Audible. And I highly recommend that if you can get a hold of it. And that's it. That's all that I have been watching. Marvel is a 2019 adaptation of the Marvel comics featuring Carol Danvers, directed by Anna Bowden and Ryan Fleck and starring Brie Larson. Captain Marvel was first announced in 2014 and is, shamefully, the first superhero film featuring a woman in the MCU. 
Carol's Captain Marvel was repopularized thanks to the comics by Kelly Sodeconic, who helped bring Carol to a new universe of fans, including us. Now we are going to discuss whether it was worth the ridiculously long wait. Was it, Renee? Was it? Yes, yes, it was. I agree with that. I love this film. I blocked out all the haters. I was like, okay, guys, you can be upset over there that there is one woman-led MCU film out of, like, 20, and I'm going to go see this movie multiple times. I actually did not manage to see it multiple times. I've only seen it once because I got sick. God damn it, body. Ruining my plans. However, now that I'm feeling better, I'm actually going to go see it at least one more time before Avengers Endgame comes out because Avengers Endgame is going to come out and Captain Marvel is no longer going to be the number one film in in the United States. But it's also going to come out and it's going to probably break our hearts. So watching Captain Marvel again is probably good to stock up on good feels. (laughs) That's a motorcycle. Of course it's a motorcycle, because Anna just had to move to London. This movie was a really good balance between expected and unexpected things. It's a, you know, your usual superhero movie. I wouldn't say it's an origin story. She really knows how to use most of her powers. I think it's more of a coming of age story and this is where the unexpected comes from because the way that the movie ends and how it follows her arc it's not usually what we have seen in the mcu and i feel like maybe this is a spoilery territory that we can go go into later on i honestly did not know what to expect from this film because there were so many ways that they could fuck it up and what i had hoped for that it would just be sort of mediocre Instead, it's a really, really good film with some big flaws. I like that we can just have a really good film where Marvel has obviously invested the writing time, the directing time, the production time into a film, just like they would with a film featuring a dude as a superhero, and put it out into the world. It's not perfect. It's just a fun film. And that's what I want. I want women to be able to have more films like this. And I was also worried that they would get didactic about the feminism, but they actually hit a really good balance in the way that they presented it. Such a good balance that men didn't get the point. Did they? Men reviewing this movie were like, Carol has no characterization. She doesn't emote. And I'm just like, you really have no idea what it's like going through the world as a woman. You have no clue. In what way doesn't she emote? Anna, exactly. I read that and I was like, I'm going to have to see this movie again and watch it through the perspective of a cis white man who just moves to the world without having to deal with any of the shit that women have to deal with. So that was a thing. And I also liked that this was kind of like a buddy cop film, which I really like, but Also, why I loved it, I was just like, wait a second. Why haven't we had a Nick Fury film yet? Apparently, there will be one. I really hope there is. Because Samuel L. Jackson is so good in this role. Sorry, do you realize he's 70 years old? He doesn't. He needs to be now. (laughs) That's what I'm saying. (laughs) Yes. Samuel L. Jackson is getting older. Marvel, step on it. When Star Wars inserted that one dude who was dead and like de-aged him 
It was Uncanny Valley. I was creeped out. It was fucking creepy. But here, the de-aging process worked okay. And overall, I didn't mind the writing. And the jokes were funny. And I didn't get into like a fight sequence and feel like, oh god, can it be over yet? Which sometimes happens with these kind of movies. Yes, your fighting is very cool. And good job working on those skills. I'm bored. Sometimes it goes on too long. Here, it was fine. There is a reason behind that, I think. That it's very spoilery, though. Okay, at this point, I'm going to declare a spoiler gate. From this point on, spoilers if you've not seen this movie yet. So if you can, go see it. Take a friend. With the action sequences, because I thought the same thing. I sometimes get really bored with them. But I wasn't here because I kept waiting there are two sides of this. So one side is that her mentor and the person who was training her in fighting kept saying that she had to control herself and control her emotions so that she could fight better. And the other thing is that there was something really seriously holding her back. And and from the beginning, I thought that thing that she had in her um, neck was going to be it that was preventing him from using all of her powers. So every single fight scene was her using her powers to a certain limit, both fighting her inner feelings, trying to control her emotions for, because that's what she was told she had to do like every woman ever, and the actual thing that was preventing her physically from using them. So that makes the fight scenes more interesting to me. And that, expect, that that thing that I was expecting to happen throughout the movie. And then eventually it did. One, she got rid of the thing that was preventing her physically from using her powers. And two, she had this whole thing where, you know what, fuck this, I'm going to use my emotions too. And that was one of the surprising things because in the end, when, what's his face? I can't remember his character's name, but Jude Law was taunting her. Like so many superhero movies have this scene. Come on, fight, fight me and do this and do that. And she's like, no, I don't have to prove myself to you. Whereas in so many movies, that's exactly what the superhero does. And I love that it was a woman who took this step in the MCU. If you listen to any of the detractors online, this movie was like jamming feminism down your throat. But then you go into the actual movie and you're like, oh, yes, they're afraid of women identifying with their emotions. Because it's easier to control women when you're, you know, gaslighting them. The way that this movie uses gaslighting and shows it on screen without actually using the term is amazing. I know. Probably what surprised me the most is that I knew that somehow the Kree were going to fit into the Marvel Universe. Because we obviously have Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I'm still really far behind. I have no clue what happens. But in one of the seasons, we discovered that Phil was kept alive because they used Cree blood of some kind to, like, manufacture something to heal him. And they're the bad guys. So the movie opens up. And so I'm waiting this whole movie. The, the, the Cree and the Skrulls are fighting. Skrulls are supposed to be the bad guys. And... Something's wrong here. Kree are not good guys in the MCU. Kree are not good guys. They're bad. It's not a good situation. What's happening? And then they flipped it. So suddenly the, the scrolls are the good guys. And I'm just like, wow, this is great. I like this. And a partner was waiting for the reverse flip where the scrolls become the bad guys again and the Kree are the good guys. But it never happens because in the MCU, they've totally just taken the storylines and done something completely new with them. And I loved it. I loved how it tied back to Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. If you watch that show, 
I was so excited, Anna. I got so excited. And I know that they don't treat Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. as like part of the MCU, even though it is. They sort of ignore it. Because if you don't want Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., you have no clue that the Kree have been on Earth. But no, we've had a lot of interactions with them. And I also loved that they gender flipped Marvel. Oh my God, right? I kept wondering, who is this woman? Like, what? Like, who is she supposed to be? And then when the name, I flipped out. I was sitting in the theater going, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. And Zach's like, are you okay? Ah, oh, that was the best thing. The best thing. It's such a, an important character in Marvel canon. And now it's a woman. What I love about the MCU too is that they are casting actors such great actors for these roles, just like the same way that the Harry Potter movies pretty much cast everybody in England that had some sort of award <laughs> to play like the major characters in that series. And I think it's the same thing happening here now. Today, I was reading that Angelina Jolie is going to be in the Eternal movies. Let's hope the Eternal movies don't suck. I know. I really liked this movie. It's good and it's fun, but I also had some issues with it. Like, we can't ignore the fact that it took us this long to get a superhero film with a woman, but it's a white woman. And that in this movie, they sort of don't handle Maria super well. Do you think? Like, it's optics, right? Where you have the super powerful white lady and her black lady sidekick. Like, the speech that Maria gives Carol out in the field before the big mission it's like let's uplift this white lady using a black woman to, to uplift and center a white lady i don't know it's complicated when you're talking about race especially in the mcu which is incredibly white it becomes hard to like unpack the thing and then we also have the fact that they keep turning characters of color into aliens in space yeah, so there was this whole thing, a lot of marketing around Gemma Chan's character in the movie, and she did tons of guest appearances together with Brie Larson, and but her character was super minor. She tried like a couple of lines of dialogue, and she was a villain. Wasn't she killed? No, I don't think she was. I don't remember. But I also think that this is a good example of this very minor character of color and Marvel's like, let's trot her out with the white star. Look at our diversity. You know what Marvel could do? They could cast some people of color in lead roles. It's not like you don't have the characters. Give me a fucking break. I can see the future we could have had. We don't have that future. So I can only hope they do better going forward. I also had some problems with some music choices. Why? So like on the way to like the secret base... They're playing TLC's Waterfalls. I understand why they chose it, but also awkward, if you know what that song's about. I don't. Weird choice. AIDS. I didn't know most of the songs in the movie. I know a lot of people talk about it, but I'm not a 90s girl. I'm an 80s girl. So I didn't know most of the songs. I mean, when you're doing nostalgia with music and you're not thinking about the lyrics of your nostalgia music or the tone of the music and you're just being like, oh, I just slapped this in here because it was popular in the 90s. It's a choice you can make, but if you don't like pay attention to your context, you end up with the scene where Nick Fury and Carol Danvers are driving down the road to the secret base and Waterfalls is playing 
on the radio and my brain is immediately not in the movie anymore. My brain is like, oh God, because I know what that song means. Like a lot of people who were fans of that song know what it means. I mean, a lot of people don't. The people who do are like immediately going to be thrown out of that scene. Another weird twist. They played No Doubt's Just a Girl. I also didn't know that song. It's a weird tone for that scene. I understand the lyrics fit, but the music itself doesn't fit. And they had so much 90s music to choose from. And they just went with like the, the very obvious, oh, these lyrics are fun. And they just ignored everything else about the scene and the song and the tone of the song. They didn't hire the Guardians of the Galaxy people to do the music for this movie. Let's put it that way. The Guardians of the Galaxy films handled the way they handled the music in, that, in those films. That They did a really good job. It's the only good thing about those movies. But here, it was just a total whiff. I kept getting thrown out by their music choices. Like, I was totally disconnected from the emotional resonance of that fight scene because of, specifically because they chose this weird No Doubt song that did not fit. It was not appropriate. I had a lot of feelings about the music choices, obviously. I had zero because one, I didn't know any of that. And two, I didn't even have the, nostal- the nostalgia of it. The music did nothing for me. It was just like sounds. We all know your feelings about music in general. Yeah, and also the fact that I am old. Other than those things. Although there was that weird scene after they capture the scroll and they're doing an autopsy on it. And they like lift the sheet to look at the scroll's genitals. And it's like a joke. But then, like, a few moments later, the director, in quotes, lays his hand on the scroll, and you find, and you learn that, oh, actually, this per- other person's a scroll, and wow, that was awkward and disrespectful. I don't know what they were trying to do with this, if they were trying to, like, make you sit with the fact you laughed at that other thing, while, oh, actually, these are... Like they're full, they're like people, but they are sentient beings. And I don't know. I just got very uncomfortable in the theater because, of course, the entire fucking theater laughed at that whole let's look under the sheet. I think probably going back to that scene now that we know that that guy is actually a hero will change it completely, too. Yeah, but I don't know how that was intended either. And how many people are going to be like self aware enough to like go back and think? Yeah, well, who knows? It's okay for a movie to be imperfect. I just wish that it could have been imperfect in different ways, I guess. I want my cake and to eat it, Anna. Both at the same time. I want to have a cake and I want to be eating a cake. But to sum up my feelings, I'm very excited to see what they do with Carol in the next film. I know that she will be in Endgame. I'm more excited to see where they go in the second iteration of Carol's story. Because if they don't do an entire trilogy for Carol Danvers, I will send a very stern tweet <laughs> to Marvel on Twitter. <laughs> if we get a second Ant-Man movie, we better get a, like a second and third movie with Carol. And now that we have Cassie via Scott Lang and Monica via Maria... What I really want there to be at some point in the next few films is a little end cap with a little girl watching Carol on her TV. Tom Holland is doing Spider-Man, and I don't know how many films he has. He still looks baby-faced enough that he could pull off a Young Avengers film. There's Shuri. Anna, I want them to do a Young Avengers film so bad. Me too. 
I'm really excited for the ways that Captain Marvel opened up the MCU to the future. I really loved Goose. Oh yeah, we haven't even talked about the cat. I don't know what you say. Goose is perfect. Goose is a star. What do you really say, Anna, when you have a performance that amazing? Goose needs to win a BAFTA and an Oscar, some Emmys. Can a TV sh- can a movie win Emmys? I don't know, but the new rule is that this cat is going to win an Emmy and a Golden Globe. I don't know what else is available. Um, a SAG award? Yes. And the little scene at the end with the cube. Marvel Studios trolled us so hard that we sat in our seats to wait for a cat to vomit up an Infinity Stone. Indeed. And it was worth it. Anyway, I love this movie. One billion space bees. Five space bees. Are you really just going to leave it at one billion space bees? Yes. So Captain Marvel gets one billion and five space bees. Congrats, Captain Marvel. You did it. In the last eight by Laura Paul, Clover Martinez lives with her grandparents in Montana, going to school and dreaming of a future where she finally gets to fly planes and explore space with NASA. But everything changes when aliens invade on her own for months with only a dog pal to keep her company amid a lonely post-apocalypse. One day, Clover catches a surprise radio transmission from another survivor. But I just wanted to start to say that I was really excited about this because Laura Paul is a Brazilian author and she got this book published in the United States and that is such a breakthrough and I was very excited about it. And even though I'm not the type of person to say every person needs to stick to its lane, I was a little little bit disappointed that it didn't have a Brazilian character in the book. The main character is a Mexican-American, more or less. We will get to that at some point. But there is no overtly Brazilian representation. And I felt a little bit sad because this could have been a great opportunity because every single time that we get a Brazilian in a book published in America, it's really, really bad. I wish we could have seen like a Brazilian write a Brazilian. What a chance. Maybe her next book. I added this to my TBR because of the fact that the aliens come and this character is invisible. And I'm like, what? The aliens can't see her? What? Okay, I'm intrigued. And that's literally why I did it. Just to be clear with everybody who's not read this book yet, we're going to spoil it all the way. All the way to the end. Spoilers ahoy! No break. If you like aliens killing all the humans. No coming back from that. There's literally only eight people left on the entire planet and only teens left behind, then maybe you want to read this book. I really liked the plot of this book. Like, the idea. Secret government program creates these hybrid human-alien kids. Program gets defunded. Of course it does. Welcome to bureaucracy in America. The kids that resulted from the program are shipped off to, you know, grow up not knowing who they are. And that they are actually part alien. And this is why they are invisible to the aliens that have invaded Earth. And I also really enjoyed the fact that Clover, who's our main character, she's very ill. She's suicidal. She's depressed. And the book really handles it okay. There was was actual content warning at the beginning of the book. 
and I never felt shocked or surprised by any of the content. And I think that the book handles it in a way that shows that Clover is not well, which doesn't always happen. Do you think that when she talks about not having emotions, it's just her trying to pretend that she doesn't have them? Or how did you read that? I read that as part of her depression. That's how. That's definitely how I read it. Clover definitely reads to me as like an ace character. She's an arrow, yeah. That was a, the overt representation. And that's great, but that's that's separate and different than her thing about how she doesn't feel like emotion, emotion. Because she obviously does, like when Adam is killed about Sputnik, but she thinks she, she thinks she can't make connections because she's so sick. And I actually think that that goes back to the little snapshot we get of her life with her grandparents. She's really isolated. She doesn't have a lot of friends at school. She doesn't feel like she belongs in her community. Her depression was there way before the aliens arrived. And that was a read I got from that opening section. And the alien attack and subsequent post-apocalypse only compounded her depression and suicidal ideation. The book really did a good job because every time Clover would make a verbal statement, one of the other characters would be like, your life's worth something. And I really liked that. I really appreciated how that was portrayed. I also liked the fact that the book makes clear that one of the reasons that Clover kept Sputnik with her was like because Sputnik became an emotional support animal. Also, the dog does not die. I really liked those things that you mentioned too. I also really liked the final group of characters that she comes to meet, the last teenagers on, on Earth, the last eight, the surviving ones are all gay, all queer. I really appreciated how the story never fell back into trying to fix the problems that the plot presented. So there was an apocalypse, everybody died. There was no fixing that at all. It's just that the earth is done. Humanity is literally over. Yeah, the aliens were really, really creepy. There was a great sense of horror in the novel, especially when they were trying to hide from the aliens, not knowing that they could not be seen at that stage still. But I think the aliens got to me because of the fact that they would some they were very quiet and they would just appear. And because they did that, the narrative actually represented that really well because they would just appear in the narrative too, like very suddenly. And the fact that the way that they kill the humans is to like shoot them with a gun that turns them into dust. The way that they take care of the humans they don't find is to have those humans breathe in the dead humans' dust. Oh my god. I know. Like, not only is that is it cruel to, like, wipe out an entire race, to do it in such a, like, very deliberately cruel way, choke to death on their own species. That's dark. Some dark shit. It's a very dark book that ends in a hopeful tone. Yeah. And all of these elements separately are really good. But to me, they did not come together. And that's what effectively made the book not work. I felt whiplash from so many enormous things happening so fast and one after the other to the point where the whole world literally died and I didn't really care. There was an entire trilogy in this one book that needed more development of each of its parts to make it stick its landing, I think. Yeah, I got really stuck on the writing and I think probably you nailed it where you said there was an entire trilogy. 
in this one book. And this book is not long. This is a very short book. There are ideas for a series here. Because it was all jammed into one book, the writing was not good. It was all compressed. It's very superficial, I think. Yeah, and there's no space for you to feel things. Like, you can obviously the char- see the characters feeling things, but it moves so quickly and all these enormous things are just coming one after the other that you just don't feel anything. It read to me like a draft that wanted to be a screenplay. And I really think that just comes down to editing. Like, they didn't, like, sit back and, like, objectively look at it and go, this is a lot of shit for one book. This book was trying to represent so many feelings. Being the last people on Earth. Alien invasion. All humanity dead. Suicide. Depression. Discovering new people are alive. Discovering that, oh, shit, I'm part alien. Several romance storylines. There is so much happening. There's not space. There's not enough space here. Sometimes with books, you can read them and get like a sense of stuff happening where time has passed. It just felt like everything happened in one week. But at the end of the book, Clover was like, I only knew Adam for a month. She was there in that bunker a month because it felt like a week. Anyway, I don't know how much responsibility editors have when they're putting a book out into the world. The problem is that we also don't know what was the state of the initial draft. It's very likely that this is the result of a lot of work already. That's sad to me. There's really great ideas here that were done a really big disservice by shoving it all into one book. Mm -hmm. This goes back to something that came up a few weeks ago on Twitter where one of my friends was reading an arc. She was like, wow, this book has a lot of awful continuity errors. Why wasn't this caught in editing? Of course, the book was by a marginalized author. And so now I'm curious about how often diverse books are getting shoved out onto the market without being given fair treatment. Do you think it's because publishing houses and editors are looking at the market right now and seeing a place that is welcoming to diverse to diverse books and just want to publish as many as they can, as fast as they can to fill out a capitalist need of making money out of that? Maybe, but it's not going to hurt the publisher. No. People aren't going to be like, wow, who published this? And look up the publisher and be like, mm, okay, questionable. They're going to They're going to do it to the author. Oh yeah, let's make some money off this diversity push. It's not a trend, but maybe it's being treated like one. Yeah, this is what I was going to say. Maybe it's being treated like one. And this is a very cynical way of looking at the world. I don't know. I wanted to, I really wanted to like this book more than I did. I know exactly why it could have been divided into three. Like the first book ends when she listens to the radio message or when she arrives at the compound, say. The second book ends when they discover that they are aliens. The third book's the big battle. But, <laughs> I mean, like from like going from a really intense first post-apocalyptic, everything has been lost, just completely alone in the world, then goes to, oh my God, there's other people here. We are the less humans. Uh, whoops. No, not really. We are not humans at all. To then let's do something. And are we professionals? Are we professional readers? When we are reviewing books, we are literally picking them apart, right? And also, I mean, I just do it because, like, I come from fandom, so I'm just like, hmm, I didn't like this as much as I wanted to. How could it be better? And you are obviously an editor yourself and have thought a lot about story structure. I mean, I guess what I'm saying is that Sourcebooks Fire could have given Lara Pohl a better shot. Yeah. 
and then selling the ebook for $11. Oh my god, Anna. I paid 11.92 for this book. It's just incomprehensible, isn't it? And I hate to be that person who is like ebooks should only be $10. Like it's not like $1.92 is much more than that, but I'm not buying a book. I'm buying a copy of a file that I'm renting from Barnes and Noble and they could just take it away from me whenever they wanted. I'm not buying a physical copy. I am buying a digital file that I am renting from a company that they say I get to keep forever, but that's dubious because like what happens when technology changes or they go out of business? Do I lose co- do I lose access to all of my ebooks? Like what's going to happen there? It would be different if it was a hard copy that I paid a lot of money for because at least the hard copy, I get more use out of it because I can give it to somebody or donate it to the library and that is has value to me, especially giving it to the library. I give all my YA books to my YA librarian. If I know somebody else is going to get use out of it, that's worth it to me. But an ebook file that's twelve, almost $12. What? Yep. I just don't get mad about it when it's books I don't love as much as I wanted to, right? I get mad at it even if it's a book that I love. It's a lot of money to pay for a file that I'm renting and could be taken away from me at any time. Ebooks should not be over nine ninety nine. The end. Space Bees? Three. Yeah, same. It's okay, Anna, if you want to give it two. Three for me, too. happy hour is supported by all of our patrons thanks to all of you as always extra special thanks to high five tier thanks to jocelyn transcendencing kj Alyssa, and jen to Anne marie margo amanda and claire thank you big thanks to brandy dervla amy Alyssa m and philip and finally to robin hedwig karen mark and lara thanks you all are awesome Our episodes are better and more robust with Space Bee goodness thanks to our patrons. We appreciate all of you so much. Thanks for listening to Fangirl Happy Hour. If you have thoughts, not just on Twitter at FangirlPod or shoot us an email at FangirlHappyHour at gmail.com. Our podcasting team includes Ira, who makes great arts, and Susan, who listens super intently to audio waves and creates text from them for maximum accessibility. Their work is available at fangirlhappyhour.com. Now, wiggle a body part. Yes, that's right. You are also part of our team, along with our Patreon supporters and newsletter subscribers. You're all superstars. And I hope you're all wiggling. Drink some water, contact all your reps, and be sure to catch Captain Marvel in the theater before Avengers Endgame comes to kick everyone's ass. Avenge the Fallen! Thanks for listening to our show, Space Bees. See you next episode. And then I what I well, and then as you know, I become I be. Sorry, you were talking, so I'm just like, I'm going to take a break and have some nuts. <laughs> I don't know, you're weird. Ixi, Maria, mas que complicação que eu não consigo falar nada hoje. It's okay, Anna, black don't crack. It's fine. Oh, my God. <laughs> Listen, Anna, always pack extra underwear. You never know what's going to go wrong.